We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined this week by a brilliant young player. She was the 2021 U.S. Women's Champion and is the world number two woman under the age of 19. She is the three-time U.S. Junior Girls Champion. Um, She's recently returned from helping the U.S. to a shared third-place finish in the Olympiad, propelled in part by a strong finish uh, by herself. And she is soon to be a Stanford University freshman. So we've got lots to discuss. She is a busy young lady, but we're happy to have her on the pod. Welcome, Carissa. Yep. How are you? Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Um, doing pretty good. Yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. And you, you're, you've accomplished so much at such a young age, as, as I just said, you're getting ready to go to college, um, and back from the Olympiad, could you just walk us through, Carissa, where your head is at in terms of like how you're getting ready to put on your academic hat, obviously, to go to Stanford, you're accomplished in that regard, but you're also, um, you know, uh, 
renowned chess player already with a bright future. So how do you balance those things? And how do you, uh, what do you do in the day to day before you do head off to university? Sure, of course. Um, yeah, so I guess right now chess is taking a bit of a backseat after my last tournament, which was the Olympiad, like you mentioned. Um, so it's going to be like my first year at Stanford, first term. So I'm going to try to put academics first, get used to the rhythm of things before I uh, try to sort of integrate some chess work into that. But yeah, I still plan on trying to keep up with uh, chess and hopefully still playing a lot of tournaments. Okay. So you'll even while you're at Stanford, you think you'll be trying to get away when you can or, or playing when there's big events in the Bay Area? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, my main chess goal right now is to get Grandmaster. So um, I'll probably be playing some norm tournaments, hopefully, throughout the school year, and then uh, also during the summer. Okay. And have you had any talks with administration? Like, do you think you'll just talk to your professors individually in terms of like, if you need to get away for for a bit or just cross that bridge when you come to it? Um, I think I might just cross that bridge when, <laughs> when I come to it. Um, there are like a few tournaments I've had my eye on and I'd probably need to miss like a couple days. But I think I'll just talk to my professors probably directly. Okay. And you did reveal to me before we were recording, I hope I can repeat, you, you've decided mm-hmm. not to play the U.S. Women's Championship this year due to due to the academic calendar? Uh, yeah, just because U.S. Women's would be like my first term um, of college. And it's like a lot longer this year because we have more participants. So that would just be more time away from school. And uh, yeah, not sure I wanted to try to really make that work with a lot on the line there well it's nice that you've already won it right (laughs) yeah it's good that at least i have that even if i never play another championship uh well we all hope that you will now carissa (laughs) you you had an up and down olympiad obviously you finished very strong and it's you know i'm i'm as a chess fan it's one of my favorite tournaments so We've already had a few guests discussing the Olympiad. So I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on it. But I'm also curious, like you mentioned right now, you're kind of ramping up for, for going to college and chess may not be the highest priority at every moment. But as the Olympiad approached, was that also the case or did you do any sort of targeted training uh, at that time? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of my go to rule when I'm balancing school and chess is like during the school year, I focus like almost 100 percent on academics and then um during the summer i'm trying to like put my all into chess because it's kind of the only time i get to really play um so prior to the olympiad i was doing yeah i was doing some chess training i played like a some tournaments beforehand so right before the olympiad i played uh, the u.s juniors which was also not my best showing (laughs) 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 to say the least but um yeah, I was kind of feeling, I was excited for it. I've been looking forward to Olympiad ever since I was, like, actually good enough to make the team in 2020. Uh, and then COVID hit, and I got pushed back a couple years. Uh, but this was something that I was kind of been waiting for, you know, these last few years. So I was really hoping to do well. And um, it was definitely a bit of a letdown when I was really sucking. 
<laughs> in like the first half, like that was probably my worst tournament performance ever. I was like, my God, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> and did you feel something flip? Um, or like, do, do you have any theories for how you were able to turn things around? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of it was psychological on my end, like feeling a lot of increased pressure. Um, I don't know if you like noticed that our lineup was sort of weird because we didn't have like the highest rated player on board one and stuff. Um, and then it was just like, I felt like as like the 2400 on board three, that I had to do like really well, right? Um, and I just played like atrociously. <laughs> um, and I think like the pressure kind of let off kind of midway through the tournament. I think we lost like two rounds. Um, and I was like, dang, I guess we really, we really don't have metal chances anymore. Um, and then maybe like some part of me subconsciously kind of took that as like a lot less pressure on myself. And so I just started playing um, a lot better. I guess like another factor that definitely contributed was that like my teammates were very supportive. Um, I felt like we were like a really close team. And I mean, even though I was still sucking, you know, like through all these tournaments, they still like, through all these games, they still had like their faith in me. They still played me like in the round, you know, not, not meant a lot. So. Yeah, I've got a few follow-ups. Number one, I did notice what you mentioned about the highest rated player not playing first board. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe, and I, I always get the captain and the coach mixed up, but I believe uh, Melik Kachian was working with you guys and Grandmaster Alejandro Ramirez. Is that correct? Yes. Melik was the captain and Alejandro was the coach. Okay. So in the captain, for listeners who heard my interview with I am John Donaldson, he's kind of the overseer, um, as you may have heard John describe. So was it Melik who made the decision of the board order? Um, I mean, honestly, I think like... For the women's team, at least, like, Melik and Alejandro both play, like, a sort of equalish role. So, like, um, yeah, so Melik's not the one, like, directly calling all the shots all the time. He, like, frequently discusses with Alejandro about these things, I know for sure. And, um, I mean, he also does his fair share of, like, the coaching, too. So, uh, yeah, sometimes our plays would, like, talk to Melik about our openings and stuff um and sometimes Alejandro would take like a captain's role and like go into the tournament hall to oversee our games you know which is kind of like the main thing a captain does uh, at the actual tournament and I think with regards to the decision about the board lineup it was both of them it was also partially because um I kind of like wanted to play board three I was like yeah I felt like board one was a lot of pressure for my first Olympiad, and I kind of wanted to take it light. So, and then you must yeah. have felt like it backfired at some point before. Oh before yeah, you... <laughs> I felt it backfired like in round four. I was like <laughs> one out of four. My rating, my opponent rating average was like twenty two hundred. I was like, wow. So <laughs> I don't remember how... the last time this happened. <laughs> But I'm sure you've had your slumps before. Like, what have your coaches and what have you learned over the years for when you do find yourself in those uh, uh, frustrating moments? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I have had, like, my my 
an embarrassingly large amount of really bad tournaments. Um, so I've kind of gotten used to the rhythm of like doing really badly and then still being able to kind of pick myself up. Um, I think like the first one that I can really recall was like the Karen's Cup in 2020 when I went like zero out of four. That was really bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I managed to do like pretty well in the second half. I went four out of five. So I think that was kind of a defining moment for me because it showed that like even when I'm doing like really, really, <laughs> really badly, there's still like a chance that I can find my form and uh, kind of regain um, regain some of my usual not as bad chess play. Um, <laughs> and I think like the same thing happened to US Juniors. It was pretty bad. I didn't really manage to turn around, but I did manage to, manage to stop losing at the end, which I counted as a win. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, so at Olympia, I was like, um, it was really bad. It was probably like the worst it's ever been. Um, just because like I was so much higher rated than my opponents and I was still playing so badly. Um, and I don't know, I never really can tell what it is that like flips me around in these tournaments, but it was just like somewhere in the middle, I started to, uh, maybe like have some more confidence in myself. Maybe I got like um, maybe I was able to like shake some rust off, but then I was kind of back in the game. So no, no health issues. You know, John Donaldson mentioned that there were a lot of unreported COVID issues at the Olympiad, but that wasn't uh, what what contributed to your slump. Oh no, I I wish I could blame it on health. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> no, it's it's not was... too late. We can edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'll be honest for the for the listeners. Um, no, it was just it was all me being bad. Um, oh. I was like sick near the very beginning for like a day or two. So I skipped the first round. Um, but besides that, yeah, there was like a, a lot of people getting sick though. Yeah. Or just feeling not so great. Yeah. And, and I should say for listeners, like obviously you're one of the most accomplished American junior players uh, no. in, this, in this era. So to hear you describe like these moments of anguish and, uh, and struggle, I think uh, it just drives home the point that anyone who plays competitive chess, that's what they're signing up for. So, so uh, we, we appreciate your being willing to discuss it. Now, on a somewhat lighter note, Carissa, um, oh, you're, you're welcome. Um, there was a fun clip posted on Chess Space in India before one of the rounds. I don't know if you're aware this got clipped, but uh, like Levan Aronian is kind of like uh, messing around with you guys and telling you like to fight for the center and giving you very basic advice. Did you, did you see that clip and did you have a lot of moments like that? Oh, yeah, I did see that clip and I, I showed it to Lev. We had a good laugh over it. Nice. Um, but I guess we, hang on, let me think. I honestly got terrible memory, so I can't remember Another thing listeners will be glad to hear. Terrible memory. I actually don't even know why. Like I can't tell you what I ate for lunch two days ago. But <laughs> but so I wonder about this and I've it's come up on the pod with different guests before. Like there's like episodic memory where like you, you might not remember events well and then there's like recalling data. Do you feel like you're bad or like opening lines? Do you feel like you're bad at both of them or just recalling events? Um honestly. 
this is like straying a little bit away from the chest, but usually I have like, I'm like not great at remembering opening lines, but I'm like pretty good at remembering events and stuff, right? Episodic memory, I think you said yeah. that. Usually. But then like recently, this totally flipped. I have no idea why. Maybe it's just like too much chess. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm like a lot better at remembering data now. Um, so no clue what's up with that. But meanwhile, you're like a chess powerhouse and you're going to Stanford. So you're doing <laughs> something right. I don't know. Not, not anything involving memory, though. Probably. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so anyway, to yeah. the clip with Levon, did you guys have, have a lot of moments like that? Like both amongst uh, the U.S. women's team and sort of um, fraternizing with the, uh, the U.S. Open team at the Olympiad? Yeah, for sure. I think we were like a very tight-knit team. I think I mentioned the U.S. women's team was great, but we definitely uh, definitely interacted a lot with the Open team as well. So we would have like uh, our meals together. We would just um, sort of hang out, you know, in our free time together. We played like a lot of, played a lot of Avalon. I don't know if you know what that is. Like I'm familiar. I haven't played it. Yeah. Yeah. We did a lot of that together. Um, as in regards to like that particular clip, I remember I would like pretty often like walk over to where the US Open team was playing and just like chat with them a little to keep the edge off my nerves a bit, I guess. Um, and yeah, very good. They gave me. I mean, that clip of Avon was like him giving me uh, trolling advice, right? Right. Which is, um, it's kind of like a left thing to do to make jokes out of stuff like this. <laughs> He's great. Um, but yeah, he also gave me like really good advice. I remember after I was, um, you know, one out of four after every round, I was like really sucking. He would like come for me, offer words of um, advice, like some stuff about maybe what I did wrong in the game. But yeah, he was great. Um, we, yeah, I think the team as a whole was just uh, very close because we had a lot of friendships uh, in between the teams too. So like, I don't know if you know, but like Fabi's like very good friends with Alejandro and Tatev. So that was kind of a link there. Um, Levon is also sort of in there. Uh, let me think. That was like kind of the, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just, everyone was like very friendly with each other overall. Um, and I think like as time went on and we like, in like the Olympiad kind of kept going further, we just, uh, we got a lot closer too. Yeah, it's it sounds sounds nice, and I yeah, and Tatyav I've interviewed a, a couple times, and um, she, I know she she listened to the interview with Donaldson and was happy to hear that he gave you guys a shout out, and it's obviously well deserved, and of course <laughs> propelled in part by your your. I mean, we mentioned you won your last five games, but the the last round win over Tanya Sachev, uh in particular um, was crucial. Um, could you like what was the experience of that game like, Carissa? Um, I mean, it was so, it was so surreal. So like the night before we were like still unsure of who we were playing. Um, and when we found out it was India, we were like really excited because it was kind of like we we're making 
you know, we're ending the Olympiad on the first board, at least. <laughs> right. After, like, such a terrible start. Um, and, I mean, we were just excited to to play such a strong team and hopefully, uh, hopefully finish really well. The thing was, like, the Olympiad, in, like, the last round, they start, like, really early, which is crazy. I think they usually start at, like, 3, but then it start at, like, 10 in the morning or something, maybe even earlier than that. Um, so the problem was, like, we wouldn't have time to prep in the mornings as we usually do. Um, the player lineups came out at, like, midnight or something, and then we just started prepping, like, immediately after that. So it was kind of um, I wouldn't really say it was stressful because it's not like we um, – I mean, all the pressure was on India for sure, right, because they had to beat us to, to get the gold. Um and we were kind of just there to, to put up a fight. But I remember, like, I had this, I don't know if this was a result of it being, like, really late or something, but I had, like, this egregious amount of confidence huh. that I was going to win, that, like, nice. our team was going to win. I was like, guys, here's the sitch. Tanya <laughs> plays D4. I'll play the King's Indian. And then I think, like, it was like, the King's Indian? What? <laughs> and then Alejandro was like, it's the only thing she knows. <laughs> Which is true. And I was like, and they looked low-key worried there for a second. I was like, don't worry, guys. I'm going to kill her in the King's Indian because I'm great at it. <laughs> I'm actually not that great at the King's Indian. Hey, it worked out. Your prophecy came but, true. Yeah. But it was all about, like, hyping myself up, hyping my teammates up. And I just, like, I was just so sure. I was like, if we're playing the King's Indian, I'm obviously going to win. I have no idea why I thought this. I'm not, like, a better player than her or something. I was just like, it's the King's Indian. <laughs> I'm going to crush her in it. Um, so I was very sure of that. And then I don't know if, like, my confidence really um, boosted the team or whatever. You know what? I can't claim credit for that. But I will say there was a lot for me that night. I was like, guys, we're going to kill India. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I feel bad about saying this now, but I was just, I was so hyped for it because we were like, we were on board and when I was finally like not playing badly and I had like a chance to, to play someone good and hopefully win and like get back some of the 20 rating points that I was losing. Right. So I was, I was super excited for it. Um, and the rest of the team also got pretty excited about it. So we, I think we went into like that round with a really good mindset. Yeah. And, and again, obviously it, it worked out now. So you knew or you had an inkling that the game you would play Tanya with black and the game would be a King's Indian. Did you manage to get your prep beyond that? Were you ready for the specific variation that was played? No, she uh, she played an odd variation. I don't think she's played it before. Um, and I hadn't checked it, but it's just part of it is like I'm not the best at um, maybe like let's say theoretical lines, but I have like a pretty good feel about like what the positions are supposed to be like what the structures are supposed to be like so I think I misplayed like the opening theoretically um but it was still like a very classic King's Indian sort of structure so I had I had like a better idea of like just the overall um rhythm and flow of the position and how it's usually supposed to be played um the thing is, like, the setups for white in the King's Indian are, like, very different, right, depending on 
what you sort of go between. And she just picked one that um, I don't think was in line with her usual setup. And so I, I just had like a better idea of how to play those kinds of structures than her. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad that it, that it worked out and yeah, it was, um, fun for, for the rooting fans as well. Although I, I do, I like Tanya as well, but um, it was nice to see the American team finish strong. And, mm-hmm. uh, Carissa, I want to hear a bit more about the state of your chess game. I should mention, by the way, that you were on the ladies night podcast with, uh, Jen Shahadi in uh, May of 2020 and gave some great improvement advice through your chess development up to that point that I recommend listeners check out. But I want to get the updated version, Carissa, but first we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is brought to you by our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, utilizes space repetition to help you remember opening sequences and tactical patterns, and they have a huge catalog of excellent courses, and they're dropping new ones at a blistering rate. New courses include one by Grandmaster Maurice Ashley. There's the new course Grind Like a Grandmaster by Magnus Carlsen himself with his friend Grandmaster David Howell. And The Life and Games of Mikhail Tal, which is an absolute classic book, is now on Chessable. And the video is done by Ginger GM himself, Simon Williams. So be sure to go to chessable.com. They also have tons of stuff that you can check out for free. So chessable.com, check out what's new. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. And as we said, Carissa managed to pause her OTB chess career, even if it's only a brief pause, but pause it as she gets ready to head to university on a high note. But Carissa, what's the sort of high level view of your chess game? You mentioned you want to earn the GM title. Uh, What do you feel you need to work on? And to the extent you've been able to study chess, what what have you been doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a great question. And I guess like, this is probably a really basic answer, but openings for sure, I think, are um, a weak spot for me. I mean, I think it's kind of funny because I didn't realize how obvious it was that I was bad openings until, like, uh, juniors. And then everyone just sort of explored that easily. And afterwards, like, my friends who were playing were like, <laughs> Carissa. It's so obvious that you're bad at openings. And I was like, okay, thanks, guys. <laughs> you're really telling me this now after you just beat me. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> um, so that's the main thing that I'm trying to work on. I think it's like also pretty helpful because openings are the kind of thing, for me at least, in which it's like more obvious to see like the clear marked uh, improvement in your game, right? Some stuff like doing puzzles, um, I mean, tactics, positions, working on calculation, that kind of stuff. It doesn't, like, manifest as obviously or as quickly, I think, um, that working on openings does. So um, I'm kind of, like, happy in a weird way that this is a weak spot for me um, because it's, like, not as 
hard to fix as some other aspects of chess improvement. So there's that. Uh, of course, with that being said, I'm still trying to, you know, as every good chess player should, work on um, uh, calculations, uh, positional stuff, kind of just keeping myself sharp, not super rusty. Um, what else? Well, I, I have a I have a follow up for you. Mm -hmm. So, so you mentioned earlier that when you were discussing the King's Indian, you feel like you do have a good command of structures. It's that the lines themselves that is not necessarily your strength. So, right. I'm curious, Carissa, where the command of structures do you think comes from? Is it just natural, or have you played through a lot of games, or is it work with a particular coach, or or what? Oh, I mean, for me in particular, I um, oh, one thing about me is that like. I actually don't really go through a lot of games, and this is like a major thing that my coaches get mad at me about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I don't really know any classical games, or um, I've never looked at any like particularly, you know, famous games in like the King's Indian. I know there are a lot out there, but I haven't seen them. So for me, like my kind of understanding comes from, I think like just pure experience, just playing it a lot. I've played it since I was like maybe 11 or so, 10 or 11. So I just have like a, I mean, it's probably like the one opening that's really stuck with me throughout almost the entirety of my chess career. Um, so I think it's just something that I understand very well. It's probably like the opening that I understand the most in chess. Okay. Um, and in terms of the other work, um, are again you gave you mentioned being an avid reader in your interview with Jen both of chess books and of fiction um or have you managed to keep up with with your reading in those regards any any rec recommendations from uh the months and years that have passed since May uh, <laughs> 2020 um to be honest haven't really been keeping up with chess books fiction also not as much but I have been getting really into philosophy and stuff thanks to a to a really great teacher I had in high school. Um, so yeah, that's mostly mostly what I'm up to, just trying to, I uh, let me think about what I've been reading. This is also all like before I started, um, before I really started in this summer um, of just simply playing chess. But I've been reading um, some Kierkegaard, some Dang, this is all months ago. And like I said, I have That's a really okay. bad memory. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Nietzsche. It's a chess podcast yeah. anyway. No. Wait, but I want to, you know, I have to flex all my philosophical knowledge. Right, yeah. What's, what's the point of reading it if you can't tell people about yeah, it? Yeah, right? Right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, Foucault. Let's see. Who else do we know around here? My mind is drawing a blank. It's okay. We got four good people out there. Okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I read like Foucault in college. And I have to tell you, Carissa, I don't remember the first thing about it. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of bad memories. Um, it was a long time ago, though. But so you did also mention in Jen and obviously with Jen and obviously it, with your affinity for the King's Indian, one might guess that you're a tactical player. Now, you say you've learned a lot from playing. But do you did you and do you do a lot of sort of tactical training um, in your development, Carissa? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, like, a bit less now, um, just because, for me, I think, like, tactics are, uh, or, like, attacking play is, like, a strong suit of mine. Um, but in my development, yeah, I did, like, a lot. I um, 
Chess.com used to have a thing like Tactics Trainer, I think it was called. They've renamed it since, but it was great. I did that like for hours every day. It was so fun. <laughs> My dad nice. and I would do it together. Um, we probably went through like hundreds, not thousands of puzzles. So that was a big one. There's also like a there's also like a lot of great um, chess puzzle books out there that I was really into when I was starting out. Um, kind of related to tactics would be like attacking play, right? So there are also a lot of great books on that too that I read when I was younger. Um, but I mean, for me, tactics is like probably the part about chess that's the most fun. So it's really easy for me to to work on that. Okay, so tactics trainer and lots of books. Do you, I, mm-hmm. Again, I think you gave a couple to Jen, but do you have any uh, specific recommendations tactics book wise? My The listeners are always want more. Although, um, you know, I, I've said before, I think it's more about doing the work than what specific <laughs> resource you use. Yeah, um, I, I would second you on that. It is definitely more about doing the work. I think like at some point, all those puzzle books kind of merged together. Yeah. Um, for me, one that I remember really clearly is like the giant chess puzzle book. I think it has like a thousand puzzles or something. Um, I hope I'm remembering the title right. But, but it was great. They had like puzzles for for all levels. I remember when I remember when I was doing it um, when I was like a lot younger, right, uh, and a lot less rated. And then like even when I was like 2200, 2300, I still got a lot of use out of like the harder exercises in the book. So okay. that's a good one. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I think I'm somehow not familiar with it, even though I asked for book recommendations <laughs> like 300 times and counting now or something on this podcast. I mean, maybe it's just like not a really good book, so no one else has ever mentioned it before, <laughs> or, but I liked or, it a lot. <laughs> okay, or it could be my memory again. <laughs> we'll, we'll never know. Um, so we have a question from a supporter of the podcast. Uh, listeners who help support Perpetual Chess can find out the guests and send in questions. And this one is from Jonathan Evans, who asks you... Carissa, um, he asked if you're going to pursue the Grandmaster title, which you already mentioned you are, but he also asked, uh, who are some of your favorite chess players of the past and the present? Of the past and the present? That's a great question. Um, I would say, let me think. I really, like I said, I really love attacking chess, so Alakine, Tal, for sure. Um, More recently, Kasparov. Um, let me think. Most in recent years, oh, I was like, this is kind of funny, but like, Avon Aronian was my favorite player oh, when nice. I was like just starting out, maybe like eight or nine, because I was like, my dad was like, you should pick a favorite player, and I was like, okay, keep in mind, I was like, eighteen hundred at this time, or two thousand, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, who should it be? And then I was like, you know, I can't pick the world number one which is nine uh-huh. at the time. So I was like, that's kind of basic. So I was like, I'll go with the world number two. Who's that, dad? <laughs> and then he nice. was like, LeVon Aronian. I was like, great. Excellent. <laughs> so, and then, sorry, yeah, but Yeah, LeVon is like a great, uh, great player too, of course. He's like fantastically um, creative and just like so, so good at this game. So, you know, I think I'm going to stick by my choice. He's also a great person. Did you um, tell him that story when you got to know him? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> How did he react? Well, like before, um, 
we before the Olympiad, I think we met once before, and I, I I mentioned that he was like my favorite player when I was like a lot younger, and I finally told him the story. I forget how he reacted. Um, don't think it was too negatively though, because okay. then I wasn't really sad. About it. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and oh, oh, I was gonna ask, have you met Kasparov since you mentioned him as another favorite? Oh yeah, um, Kasparov. I'm part of like the Young Stars program. So we sort of meet like every six months with a with a group of uh, like five, six other young chess players in America. And we kind of go over like our our recent games and stuff. Um, that like kind of, that was like a little bit iffy during COVID because it's like you review your games from like the last six months. Um, and we all had no games from the last six months for like right. a period of time there. But it's getting a uh, backup, and I mean, I mean, what can I say? Like Kasparov's just a, uh, just brilliant. Um, I mean, like having the opportunity to, to work with him for him to like give feedback on my game is just, um, I mean, it's crazy. It's like a chess legend, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. Um, by the way, Carissa, I fact check you, and the giant chess puzzle book does exist. Grandmaster oh, Zenon Franco. So, con <laughs> congratulations! And uh, yeah, I don't think it's been re recommended before, even though it looks it looks great because it looks uh, like voluminous. Like there's so much, oh, so much to do. Oh, it's huge. There's so much content. I love it. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, Carissa, we got to take one more break, and then we're gonna. I'd like to hear a bit about your your academic plans as well as your chess plan so we will be right back perpetual chess is brought to you in part by aimchess.com aim chess has an algorithm which reviews your games from the major chess playing sites and then gives you actionable information about what to work on i haven't been playing as much blitz lately just been busy with family stuff and when i review my games it shows. My openings are still good, but I need to work on my tactics, my end games, my advantage capitalization, and some other stuff. The good news is that Aim Chess has the tools to help you work on those things. You can review the specific tactics that you missed within the game among countless other features. So you can check out Aim Chess for free. And then if you do decide to subscribe, use the code PERPETUAL30 to save 30% on the first month. Or you can also use the link in the show description for aimchess.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. And we are back. And Carissa, we have one more question from a Patreon supporter of Perpetual Chess. Uh, thanks for supporting the pod, Andre Develde. And I'm sorry if I said your name wrong, Andre. The, I really struggle with the Dutch names <laughs> in particular. Um, and he was wondering, I mean, you've, you've touched on this a bit, but if you have like a firm plan of how to balance academics and chess, as I presume, I mean, I know you went to um, a top high school, but obviously going to Stanford, there's a good chance your workload will intensify. So do you have, is, are you going to stick with your plan of uh, uh, academics during the school year and chess during the summer? Um, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, high school was pretty tough for me. I would say that like 
I went to uh, Phillips Academy in Andover, and um, the workload there, it's pretty crazy. So, yeah, I literally had, like, very close, if not zero time for chess during the school year, uh, during these four years of high school. And that was partially why I took um, I took a gap year in the middle of it to, to devote more time to chess. But I'm hoping that – this is going to sound naive. I'm hoping that college <laughs> – will kind of grant me a little more um, free time. I've heard from friends who are at Stanford now, who were also like high school friends, that um, that it is a lot easier to find like some extra time for yourself. Um, and like my high school kind of prides itself on being like a preparatory school for college. And I think that's true to some extent because um, like I mentioned, my friends at a lot of top colleges now have kind of talked to me about how it's um, it's not as difficult as one might seem after like jumping from Andover to college. So I'm kind of holding, kind of hoping that uh, that this stays true for me and that I'll be able to have some more time for chess. I don't really have a a firm plan of attack in place yet um just because i think i'm more of like the kind of person that likes to go with the flow and like figure out the sort of vibe of a place first before i commit to to anything in particular so i'm just i just want to get into college kind of settle in feel feel it out and then i'll carve out time for chess yeah that makes sense i mean there's it's just such an unknown it's just such a a big Mm -hmm. change i mean i personally i i had more free time in college than high school as well but you never know Mm -hmm. till you get there now of course you've got a couple famous recent um chess stanford alums in uh alexander botez and grandmaster daniel narditsky have you talked to them about stanford at all carissa um no actually i haven't but that's a good idea i might reach out to one of them about it. I'm, um, yeah, from what I recall, they did a lot of streaming in college, I think, right? I think towards the tail end, it seems like both of them did, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you mentioned like earlier before we started this podcast that uh, I was doing some streaming, which is, um, which is, yeah, something I was briefly into, but I don't know if I'm going to get back into it and, you know, I was just thinking if they have enough time for streaming chess and presumably also studying it on the side, then hopefully I will too. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And do you have a, do you have any thoughts? I, I'm sure you hate when people ask you this, <laughs> as all 18 year olds do, but do you have any thoughts about like what your major will be? Do you have an academic area of interest? Um, for sure. I think I'm going to probably going to try to, you know what? I'm actually, I'm not like 100% certain on my plans, but like I mentioned, I'm really into philosophy. So I might try to get like a major or a minor in that. Um, creative writing too, comp lit, and then probably I'll get like some STEM degree to sort of round it out. Wow, both, huh? I am not trying to get all four. <laughs> yeah, it's just like probably, I really love the liberal arts, but I'm also like a pretty big fan of STEM. So 
probably, hopefully, two subjects, one in each. We'll see. Gotcha. And you're about number 60 for women in the world and one of the youngest amongst the top 60, obviously. You mentioned your, your goal of, of achieving Grandmaster, but do you think about like trying to eventually qualify for the women's candidates and potentially trying to become world champion? Or is your, your academic schedule kind of preclude uh, dreaming that big for the moment? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I like... I have a, I have a lot of trouble like really thinking or planning ahead, which I guess might be kind of like weird for a chess player, but I've just found like my plans always get derailed so easily that um, I I tend to sort of make my decisions uh, as they come along, if that makes sense. So, I mean, right now I'm trying to keep it on like a smaller level so if i get grandmaster that's great um and then we'll look at the next thing after that which uh you know might be playing on like the world stage professionally at a really high level or it might be like uh me getting out there into the corporate life so yeah and do you think professional twitch streamer if you get back into it is a possibility as well (laughs) um (laughs) I don't know about professional, but you know, and anything's an option right now. So, I mean, I might do some more streaming for fun, but it's not, it's not really emerging as one of my main life paths right now. Gotcha. But you know, I might, I might follow the trend of like chess players who are also Stanford graduates. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you. Of all the of all the streamers, you you could do a lot worse than following in the footsteps of uh, of Alexander Botas and uh, and Daniel Naroditsky. Yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> all right, now Carissa, I've been waiting to get to the most serious topic we have here, which is um, I interviewed uh, Grandmaster Andrew Tang, um, I believe it was last year, and he talked about uh, he got the picture of Magnus Carlsen. <laughs> <laughs> at, uh, at I believe it was um, a, a was it Ophide World Rapid and Blitz I believe uh, World um, Cup yeah sorry okay at a World Cup and you know he posted the picture on his Instagram I mean not super I think it's one of three Instagram posts he's ever made so and, and he told the story of uh, tracking down Magnus and he recently wrote about it um, but it has been brought to my attention that you were cropped out of that picture <laughs> can you confirm yes. uh, this scandal I can confirm this scandal, and you know what? I have more to add to it. So okay. here's the tea. Um, Andrew and I were like, so like the World Cup was like being held in like Sochi, and we were living in like this really nice like resort area, and everyone was living there. Um, you know, ever since like Magnus got there, we were we were on the lookout for him because it was it was kind of like a small area, right? There are like a lot of restaurants, a lot of fun things to do, but it was still it was like one really long street. So we could have, <laughs> so it wasn't like that out of the realm of possibility. We'd find him. So we were kind of like roaming that one street, <laughs> going up and down. We did this for like maybe two days or something. And we were just like, hmm, you know, wouldn't it be funny if we found Magnus while we were roaming <laughs> during these <laughs> meal hours? Haha. <laughs> but then it was like after a round, right? I was just chilling on the street by myself and I was walking down the street look over in the restaurant magnus is eating and i was like oh my god and then <laughs> i like ran to find andrew 
and found him. And then we went until like Magnus finished because, you know, we can't interrupt him during the meal. We weren't that crazy. Uh, <laughs> we weren't that obsessed with him. We went until he was finished and then we took our picture with him. But the fact remains that Andrew Tang never would have found Magnus and he never would have gotten that picture if it weren't for me, you know? So I was I was betrayed by this. Andrew and I have not talked since that crop. Um, and this is me publicly stating our feud. That's so funny. And I don't know if you read his chess.com blog, but he he he's trying to erase you from history. He said in it he was tipped off by the about Magnus eating at a nearby Italian restaurant from a fellow uh Magnus stalker. He didn't even give you credit there. <laughs> a fellow Magnus stalker. <laughs> I mean, is it that inaccurate? No. <laughs> but is that all I am? Also no. And you know what was crazy? We waited so long for him to finish his meal, but I was like Andrew, you know, I'm low-key hungry. Maybe we should hit that KFC over there. And he was like, no, we can't. What if he leaves? And we definitely had time to hit that KFC. We were there waiting for a long time. That's so funny. And it really, to me, drives home like the the allure, the power of Magnus, because obviously you guys are quite accomplished in your own <laughs> rights. And, you know, Andrew has had many battles with Magnus, but... When he's there, he, he's calling himself a stalker, just as uh, the rest of us basically would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, this Magnus Carlsen, you know, he, he is like a living chess legend. We're like living in his era, you know? So, yeah. It, gotta get amazing. that picture with him. Yeah. And then hopefully you have one that you're not cropped out of in, in your personal possession. Yes. And you know what? To. To retaliate, I also cropped him on one of my photos, Magnus. It's not really the same effect because he did it first, but uh, I'm trying to justify it tomorrow. So. Excellent. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, the, between that and the Aronian Olympiad stories, we've gotten some some great ones, Carissa. But do you have any other like favorite memories of uh, meeting all these uh, chess celebs that you've gotten to meet? Mm, yeah, for sure. I think another one was... Um, let me think. Okay, so in 2016, it was like, that's six years ago, but it was like my first time um, playing the U.S. Championship, and it was also like uh, my first time kind of being like really close proximity, you know, to all the best players in the U.S., so I was super excited for it. Um, and then, so like before the first round, I walked into to the sushi restaurant that I really liked, and Fabio was there with his second, oh, wow. and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> it's probably on a caravana. I have to I have to get an autograph. I have to get a picture. But I'm like super shy <laughs> in real life. So I did not. And then for every single round after that, for some reason, you know, I love sushi. So I was going there every day for lunch. For some reason, Fabio was also there every day for lunch. Maybe he also really liked sushi. And we would be like the only people <laughs> in the restaurant. And I would just be like eyeing him from the corner of my eye because I'd be like, is this the day? I get my <laughs> autograph and my photo, and it never was because I never, <laughs> never had the guts to ask. That's but, funny. but you know, I, I told him this story at like Olympia, and thought he was like, "I'm so glad you did not do that." <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to be bothered. Yeah, so then I retaliated by uh, uh, every day I would be like Fabiano Carolina, just like at a random time in the day when we were like he hang out. I'd be like Fabiano Carolina. I'm your biggest fan and then snap a selfie 
<laughs> he was a good sport about it. <laughs> I did, did it a you lot. Get a, did you get a selfie or was it like the threat is stronger than the execution? No, I got like so many selfies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Glad to hear it. That, Just to make fun. up for like all the 11 rounds in 2016 in which I could have gotten a selfie, but I didn't because my 12-year-old self didn't have uh, the guts to do it. So I was kind of, um, I was doing it for younger me, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure you were, you know, uh, fairly high ranked for your age at 12, but still to go from a 12-year-old kind of gawking to like an an 18-year-old basically there for the same reason on relatively equal footing, I mean, it, it must feel pretty good. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to sort of, look back and see how much has changed for me but and yeah it is um i don't usually like take a moment to stop and really think about it but if i do it's like it's like a humbling experience you know yeah well it's it's pretty cool and uh we we all look forward carissa to seeing um what you the, your continued accomplishments both uh on the chessboard and uh, and away from it. Um, do you have anything to add before we say our goodbyes, Carissa? Um, no, not really, but thanks for having me, Ben. This is a great podcast. I've been like following along low-key on social media as you kept growing. So, I mean, it's great to finally be, um, to, to be able to be here and be invited by you. Thanks. Well, it's my honor. Um, and we know you've got, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you've got your chess.com with Jen, you mentioned you blogged there. I didn't fact check to see if you're still blogging. Oh, no. is, there, <laughs> is there anywhere else uh, that, that I should link to for people to uh, keep up with, um, with your chess adventures? Um, no, I think Instagram, Twitter are the main socials I use. So, okay. Awesome. Well, Carissa, again, congrats on your success and uh, good luck at, uh, at Stanford. I'm sure, um, I'm sure you will continue to crush it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, But most of all, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.